Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom, he, him and Don Lister, she, her. Today we are joined by Fiona Agombar. Now Fiona is a yoga therapist, a writer and a wrist activist and we're really thrilled and excited to be joined by Fiona today. Fiona currently is living in Spain. We're feeling very jealous given that it's been chucking it down here in the UK today very miserable and bleak so welcome Fiona it's great to have you on board thank you so much it's lovely to be here thank you for asking me oh now Fiona's written um, a couple of books her first book which I think you said is like 19 years old must have been groundbreaking at the time beat fatigue with yoga and then her current book um, which I've just finished reading myself and was incredible is yoga therapy for stress, burnout, and chronic fatigue syndrome. And what an apt book to have out in the times we're living in for so many varied and nuanced reasons. So we're really looking forward to this conversation with you, Fiona. Thank you, and I'm really glad you liked the book. Yeah, it was wonderful. So so Thank practical, as well, as well as informative and interesting, it was felt very practical very useful there's lots of things that I thought oh yeah I'm going to take that into class and and I have already been using some of the practices um let's let's check in let's see how we're all doing so Daniel how are things with you what have you been up to hi Dawn hi Fiona um I am doing okay today thank you um last podcast I I I um explained to everyone um that I have decided to run the London Marathon. So I started my training this week. And um, interestingly, I've added quite a lot of additional rest time into my training because I realize how depleting it is very quickly for me to have increased the running that I'm doing. And it's not by much. I was running quite far anyway, but actually... I've noticed myself feeling quite fatigued, which I haven't felt since actually having COVID in June of this year. Um, And it's been really interesting just letting myself just have sort of 20 minutes, half an hour during the day where I've just stepped out of everything and I just go and lay down and I've actually been going to sleep, which shows you how much my body is exhausted just from that little bit of extra running that I'm doing. But actually what I'm trying to do is really stick with the coaching that I've been given. I've got a long time. I've got over a year to, to get there. It's this time next year that I'll be running the marathon, but I'm making sure that I've got those rest times in because for me, it just feels vital that I need to recover properly. One, to be able to do the job that I do and be able to, you know, serve people through yoga and yoga therapy. But also I know if I'm not rested, I'm not going to be able to run the next day. So I hope actually what we're going to talk about today is going to be relevant and and i might even pick up some extra tips about how to how to rest but i thought i'd share that because i think so often when we're doing exercise we don't think about the rest that we need and actually to me that's vital i'm doing as much resting as i am doing running (laughs) fantastic brilliant to hear daniel 
you're, li- you're a yogi you're listening to your body absolutely yeah and, know- and knowing when I need to stop knowing when I need to slow down yeah. knowing when I need silence and when I need to yeah. be in you know yeah. in darkness beyond sleep time you know and my body is obviously in strain at the moment from doing this additional running so it's like I, ne- I know what I need to do because I don't want to exhaust myself Brilliant. I think it's really impressive I mean I can't even imagine running a marathon I can't even run for the bus it's <laughs> <laughs> amazing Daniel I'm going to come and cheer you on oh thank you well it's took it's 10 fair. years of convincing myself to do it so it felt like <laughs> I could go another 10 years or I could just sign up and just say like you know what I'm going to do it <laughs> yeah it's really exciting it's really really exciting so Dawna you have some news to tell us this week don't you <laughs> You know what? I'm I'm so bored of coming on and going. Oh, I'm feeling tired because of my long COVID or you know whatever <laughs> drama's going on. And I kind of um this week I had yet another drama. So I I got um I was in the bathroom and my husband had had a shower and he left a puddle of water on the floor, which I will never let him forget. Um and I went slipped on the puddle of water and went straight into splits and heard my hamstring tear. As I went down, I've never known. Well, I have known pain with it. It was called childbirth, um, and I, I literally was stuck on the floor for you know a couple of hours till I waited for an ambulance. The ambulance were really quick actually; they were great. And it was funny. Two thoughts hit me as I hit the floor: was I can't be off work. I'm too busy, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And the second one was, please God, let them have gas and air on the ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> which they did hallelujah so uh yeah it's i've t- fortunately i didn't break anything which was good um and uh but i have torn my hamstring i can stand now that's good i can hobble around the house looking like i'm wearing a nappy but i can hobble around the house uh, but i can't you know i can't sit on the low i can't sit on a chair without like half a dozen pillows underneath my legs so yeah, but the body is a miraculous thing and it's healing already. But it's re- what's really interesting is I'm very tired. I'm really tired and I definitely feel shock. I feel quite a lot of shock. And so I'm kind of trying to make space for, well, two things, getting loads of admin done, which feels good because I'm sitting on a chair. <laughs> and the other one just to like process the shock. So my plan after the podcast is to actually just have a little bit of a lie down and maybe do a yoga nidra or something because I feel like, um, yeah, that's what I need. So yeah, fun and games. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is my three things COVID, long COVID, and a torn hamstring. And from here on in, it'll all be good. <gasps> oh dear. Anyway, that's me. Fiona, how are things with you? What's been going on with you this past little while? Well, first of all, I'd say I'm really sorry about your hamstring, Dawn. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I don't want to go woo-woo on you, but sometimes (laughs) things do seem to happen for a reason and make us slow down. Mm. And it's interesting that you said you were thinking, I'm too busy, I can't be ill, because Mm. that's probably, actually, you do need to listen. Because very often what we do is override our body's cues. Mm. So, you know, Daniel, you're talking about resting, after you've been running and you're, you're talking about even doing admin while you're sitting, but maybe our body is actually giving us the message to slow down and stop and rest and sleep mm. or do a yoga nidra. But, you know, very often we distract ourselves and we push through anyway. And, uh, you know, maybe I remember 
about three years ago, four years ago, I had flu very, very severely. I had a temperature of 103. And at the time I was nursing my husband from cancer. And I remember thinking when I actually got so ill, I had my mother then drove, collected me and nursed me. I remember thinking, oh, thank God, I don't have to look after Alan anymore. I'm too ill. I can actually rest. So with a temperature of 103, I was just grateful to being able to rest. Mm. Um, so, yeah, but how am I? I'm good. I'm good because um, I have my friend Leah Barnett staying with me in Spain at the moment. And it's really nice to have a friend staying with me in Spain. It's October. The weather is lovely. And we're still able to swim in the sea and the sun is shining. But I'm preparing to come back to the UK for two months because I want to be with my mum. She's 89 now and I miss her. So I'm going to be with her for the two months and come back in January and sort the rest of my residency and tax out. It's been quite difficult coming out here. I came out in May to live and I've had various dramas, including it being so hot in August that I couldn't kind of leave the house. I just was lying under a fan. And then I had a bed bug episode where I had to vacate my house. Um, and that was all good because it's current, it's made me decide when I come back to Spain, I'm going to rent a house near the sea. Mm. Um, but yeah, generally I'm feeling good. I'm glad to be here. What an exciting adventure to move to somewhere where you can live by, saying that we live by the sea, what am I talking about, Daniel? Spain just sounds so much more fun though, living by the sea in Spain. It sounds wonderful. Yeah, no, we do I, have I, better weather, yeah. I, I think I'd prefer the, the warm sea at the moment compared to our sea. <laughs> well, if it's like it's knife stabbing you all over, isn't it? Getting into the <laughs> Absolutely. I, I did my first hyperventilating swim last week. <laughs> I was like, I can't cope. I can't cope. I can't oh, cope. I need to get out. <laughs> I was like, just stay with it. It's okay. <laughs> it's going to pass. <laughs> someone, someone sent me a thing yesterday saying that due to a lack of chemicals, local council are, are putting raw sewage into the estuary an hour after high tide. So to be avoiding um, swimming in the sea other than pre-high tide and right on high tide, because an hour mm. later, all the raw sewage is getting pushed out. Because oh, since God. we've left the EU, there's a, we can't seem to get enough chemicals from Europe. So... <laughs> so be careful don't want to be swimming in all that sewage Ooh, no. horrible horrible let's get to our conversation so there's so much for us to talk about fiona let's let's start with let's find out a little bit about you tell us about you how you ended up doing the work you do what inspires you give us give us a bit of background okay so i used to long time ago 30 years now 30 years ago i used to run quite a busy pr public relations business and I had international clients like uh, Duracell and Sibagaygi and I worked very very hard um, and this is kind of the tail end of the Thatcher era where it was you can do it all and I would go to an aerobics class in my lunchtime and then come back and work and um, it all sounded very glamorous but I got very run down I got very anxious and then I had a virus which turned out to be glandular fever but instead of taking the rest and convalescence I needed, I pushed on through. Um, and basically, to cut a long story short, I ended up having ME, chronic fatigue syndrome, for 15 years. 
and I was in a psychiatric hospital for three months because in those days doctors didn't believe in me and they didn't know what else to do with me and they put me on a host of antidepressants which didn't really help um and I was very very ill I was in a wheelchair as well um it was very difficult in those days we didn't have internet or the kind of communication where you could talk to other people who had the same condition and it was a struggle and eventually um, I got in touch with an amazing yoga center, which sadly is closed, called the, the Yoga for Health Foundation. And I started going on retreats there and learning about yoga. And I learned this amazing thing, which is that yoga is about quieting the mind. And I had a very frantic mind, which in yoga terms we would call rajasic. So this idea that I could quieten my mind was really revolutionary to me. And then I had, um, I met a wonderful yoga teacher called Andrea Stevens, who lived in the village where I lived. And I joined her, well, she called it a remedial class. And basically I started to learn about the breath. I started to learn about calming down the central nervous system. And taking up a more yogic lifestyle really helped with my healing. And consequently, even before I trained as a teacher, I wrote a book called Beat Fatigue with Yoga because I was just so impressed with how yoga had helped me. Um, and then I trained as a yoga teacher around 2001. And then I made a full recovery in 2004. Um, and then I had seven really fantastic years where I was running retreats for other people with ME. Um, I was traveling to India and studying. I then furthered my training in the Krishnamacharya tradition went to India and did a little bit of studying under teachers like Desika Char uh, and Sarah Ryan and Jill Lloyd in this country. And then I got a tick bite in 2011 and I basically came down with chronic fatigue again. Um, and that pushed me into really looking deeply at my own patterns. Um, I continued to study yoga in the Krishnamacharya tradition and then because I became too ill to work, I came out to live in Spain in 2013. Um, and then I met a man who I eventually married um, and he got cancer. We came back to the UK and I became his full-time carer. Um, he died at the end of 2019. And throughout his illness, I started writing my book, Yoga Therapy for Stress, Burnout and Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, because it was so opposite to my own experience at the time. Um, and I handed in the manuscript for the book two weeks after Alan died. He died at the end of 2019. Um, and then of course we were into pandemic times. And then I just put out a notice on Facebook, would anybody be interested if I was to set up classes on Zoom? And to my surprise and delight, a lot of my old students with ME said yes. So for the last 18 months, I've been running uh, bi-weekly classes, especially for people with fatigue. And it's meant that people who've maybe been too ill to come on retreats or classes can now actually come and join my Zoom classes. And I've also been working a lot with people with long COVID um, because I just was putting out there that I'm working with people with fatigue. So a lot of people who have long COVID have fatigue too. So that's another, that's another area I've been working with. So um, yeah, I came back to Spain in May and that's kind of where I'm at now. 
So I'm very dedicated to wanting to help people who have chronic fatigue for whatever reason they have it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm so sorry to hear about your husband and what a difficult time that must have been for you. Well, part of my own journey and growth as well, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Can, can I ask you what, before we jump into um, some more conversation around your work, what is it that you do? You spoke about addressing some of your patterns, mm-hmm. you know, you had chronic fatigue and then that became something that you worked with. And you obviously were very dedicated and busy with that. Then you got your tick bite. Can you speak a little bit more about how you've addressed some of those patterns and how you manage to sort of keep um, a sense of pacing is the word I want to use in your life now? Yes, because I mean, this is something I share in common with many of the people I'm working with. So I would say that I have, I mean, as you know, in, in yoga, we talk about a pattern being a samskara. But prior to that, we have the tendency, which is a vasana. So mm. I would say that I had the full-blown pattern of being a people pleaser, putting mm. everyone before myself, and also of being quite driven because I lack self-compassion. So therefore, I would push through. I would be, you know, strive, push, achieve, all because I wanted people to accept me, really. Um, but th- this is barely noticeable, you know, this is just how I was and it's how a lot of people are with chronic fatigue. Although I'm not saying that's why we have chronic fatigue, but I'm saying that can be part of a bigger picture. And of course, that's very much the message our society gives us, which is that we should mm. all be striving and pushing and achieving. Yeah. So, you know, I have those patterns of doing one task and then not stopping to rest, but pushing on to the next and then pushing on to the next. So I would find pacing very difficult uh so part of you know when I looked at my pattern part of what I had to look at deeply is self-acceptance and being more compassionate to myself and being more accepting of who I am and and why I am like I am and then another example would be that I have again like many of us this um tendency to put others people first and not consider my own needs um Mm. And an an example of that, it's quite a personal example, would be that um, when I was nursing my husband, he could be quite tricky and difficult, you know, for obvious reasons. He was facing a very difficult situation with his cancer and he could get quite angry, not, not physically, but, you know, he would get verbally angry and take it out on me. And there was a time when, you know, things got really, really bad. And I decided that I couldn't take any more and I actually would have to leave him. So I went to see my mother, who I'm very close to. And I said, um, I said to her that, you know, I'm considering leaving. I've, I've had enough of the situation. The situation is actually making me very ill. And my mother said to me, well, you, I'm sorry, but you can't leave him. It's your duty to stay. He's got cancer and you have to go back. And I said, but it's making me ill. I'm ill too. To which she just replied, well, you don't count. Wow. And she didn't mean that horribly. I love mm. my mother. She did, But it's just her background. You know, you mm. put the man first, you put... Uh, but, but, you know, that really made me go into deep reflection. I think this goes right back to my childhood, that everyone else must come first. I don't count. I must 
you know, look after people around me and please others. And once I saw the root, I was able to kind of then work on that pattern. Um, and um, what then happened was that I went back to Alan and I then arranged that I was going to live with my friend who lived around the corner and I would stay with her at night and I would go to help him during the day. I had an emergency phone with me so he could ring me at any time if he needed me. But I would go during the day and look after him and the dog. And then in the afternoon, I'd go back to my friend's Ruth. I'd do a bit of my writing of the book and I would stay there. And that gave me the space I needed. So what happened was actually I was learning about boundaries. Mm. And when I put the boundary down, he then started to be much more respectful of me. And we then developed a much healthier, better relationship because I had learned about being more boundaried. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, Fiona. I think it's just so pertinent that you've really explained what so much of the Yoga Sutra is actually about about this needing to actually look at those samskaras, finding a way that is compassionate to yourself to be able to work through that, but also allowing by what you've done to then be able to be compassionate towards others as well. And that, you know, ultimately is why we do yoga, isn't it? What, you know, what yoga is for. And I think, you know, we're going to touch upon it. And I, I think my question will probably lead there in a second is people come to yoga with an expectation of it being something very different to actually what it is because of the way that it's sold, the way that it's marketed, the people that we put on the front of yoga magazines and, you know, publicize yoga through. There's an expectation that doing a yoga class is going to make you feel better. It's going to make things better for you. But you have to do that deep internal work and you have to look into those places that are really grubby and horrible within ourselves and actually be able to, to put it on the table and just say, right, what have I got? How can I be compassionate out of this? You know, and, and, and I think the work that you're doing is so inspiring because we are living in a society now where people are very shut down to actually really what's going on within themselves and you know there's more and more people reporting conditions or illnesses chronic fatigue um you know things where they're they're just feeling absolutely burnt out and exhausted from the lifestyles that all of us are living because you know we're all caught up in it in some way and I suppose it'd be really interesting to hear about, you know, you calling yourself a rest activist, how you, you know, what's your, what's your sort of take on, on where we are as a society and how can the yoga practices help people that may be experiencing chronic fatigue or, or the, that, those conditions of burnout? Well, thank you for that, Daniel. And I'd just like to pick up on some of the things you said, because it's true Yoga is not about, I always say that the yoga I teach is not asana based. It's not about postures. And my teacher always, he talks about, obviously we know yoga is about freedom, but he also talks about it being about the flow of energy or flow of prana. Mm. Um, and for prana to flow, we need to look at our grunches or our restrictions. And those can very much be, as you've talked about it, being our shadow side. So, yeah, ultimately yoga is about that swadhyaya, that self-reflection, looking 
at our more unconscious patterns. And that is really painful work. I mean, I found it really painful. You know, I've had five very difficult years where I went to some very, very dark places. But, um, you know, Nesquit, it's so easy to switch on Netflix or turn to a bottle of wine or gin and deflect from that kind of work. And I'm not saying we have to do that work all the time, you know, but that is the work of yoga really, is to be looking at our more hidden patterns and, and seeing that we are made up of our samskaras and then understanding what our tendencies, our vasanas might be. And we can only really do that when we are quiet. And that includes meditation, nidra, sitting in, you know, resting, how, however you like to say it. And I think with my own students, I try and talk a lot about self-compassion because many of the people I work with do not have self-compassion. They don't even know what it means. And they'll have an inner critic, which is running the show, which is that barely unconscious voice, which is criticizing us all the time or putting us down, which is actually part of our fight and flight mechanism to keep us safe. But, you know, it also keeps us in the stress response. And mm -hmm. I think building on what you said, you know, we now have a society which is burnt out, which is very, in yogic terms, it's very rajasic, or stressed, we're all working too hard or trying to make a living, we're all trying to keep up, we're all maybe chasing more that is material rather than spiritual, we're looking away from what is spiritual, um, we're clinging on to stuff, we're living fearfully, and consequently we're not taking that time out to pace or to have proper rest. And there is a massive rest deficit going on in our society and, uh, you know, what's going on now is partly a reflection of that. It's interesting, as you chat, Fiona, it's such, such wisdom there, so thank you. I'm I was just thinking, you know, life is so hard for people now, you know, even just back from, what, I'm 50, so back when I, I left home when I was 16. And it was possible. I mean, it wasn't easy. Let's not mm -hmm. be any illusions about that but it was possible I'm um, now to leave home even just to go and rent somewhere and to have any kind of life like one salary is not enough mm. and you know, just to stand still just to live and feed yourself well have a roof over your head takes a huge amount of effort and fi and fine and finances and people spend so much of their time on their just supplying their basic needs they haven't often got the energy to move up the triangle of needs you know maslow's triangle of needs. yeah You'll, yeah yeah you know this idea of creating rest for yourself looking after yeah. your spiritual needs a sense of connection and a sense of creativity all that stuff that you know gives us this beautiful rounded out full human being society is set up to keep you trapped yeah just scraping by and you're basically so yeah all you've got energy to do at the end of the day is stick on netflix pour a glass of wine you know i don't know do something else actually there's nothing wrong with these things but you know that that on their own is not going to be helpful to you and it seems like such a, a bit of a chicken and egg situation isn't it you know we've got this society it's creating a world that's so difficult to live in and thrive in how, how do we 
how we manifest change within that. Do you have a view on that? Well, I, do, I don't have a solution. Um, I have a view on it, which is that I completely agree with you. I remember a, f- a few years back, I was studying Vedanta in India. And I remember somebody brought this up with, uh, you know, Vedanta is all about um, moksha, freedom. And I remember somebody bringing this up with our Vedanta teacher that you have to have a certain kind of income and, and level to be able to actually have the luxury to even study something like Vedanta or even have the headspace to be thinking about. Uh, freedom because if you are on you know like a frontline worker you don't have the luxury maybe to think about that and all I can say is that I'm very aware of it which is why I make my classes payable by donation and some people don't pay me because they can't afford to and I'm very happy about that because I want to make it available to everybody you know not just the people who can afford 10 pounds to come to a class because then that's a whole swathe of the population excluded But I mean, I don't have the answers because it's actually, as you said, the way our society is set up. And, you know, maybe we're needing to unpick society and actually look at restructuring it and how that would work, I don't know. Um, There's, I don't know if you've come across a book by Johan Harry, which is called Lost Connections. Um, He's a journalist writer an ex-addict who went out and researched why are so many people on antidepressants and why so why is there so many mental health problems in our society and he came up with some answers and you know he, he kind of gives about 10 possible solutions it's a book I really recommend Lost Connections by Johan Harry um, and he I mean he's talking a lot about getting away from the capitalist mode because the capitalist model is not serving the people you're talking about it's serving the people at the top of the pyramid who are very wealthy but it's not serving the rest of us um, and he suggests that you know we need to be setting up more communities and more cooperatives so cooperatives is one of his suggestions of how that might work as a business model and of course there's nothing wrong with capitalism in as much as if I I don't know if I'm growing lemons and I want to set up a lemonade factory at the end of my garden sell lemonade to passers-by nothing wrong with that it's when it becomes exploitative and it's exploiting you know the the, the more vulnerable um, and taking advantage so that people then don't have the time or the money and they're just fighting to survive um, and you know you're hearing of nurses going to food banks for example mm-hmm. so yeah I don't I don't have the answer um, and, you know, if you, you've got children and maybe aging parents and you're trying to make ends meet and you're trying to pay your rent or mortgage, it's very, very hard. But then, you know, that begs the question that there maybe is something wrong in a society where we have massive amounts of mental health problems, particularly amongst our young. We have opioid addictions in America. We have people burning out high suicide rates, people suffering from burnout, you know, clearly there is something that's not right. Um, And I don't have the solution. All I can say as a yoga teacher, you know, I offer rest and respite when I can to my Mm -hmm. community. And I also uh, do bits and pieces of yoga teacher training, like through uh, Yoga Teachers Forum, you know, Julia, you've interviewed her. 
and I'm probably going to do something for the Minded Institute. So, you know, if I can help other teachers to learn about sharing the message of rest and relaxation and yoga that is not necessarily asana-based, which can be more about the breath, it can be more about lifestyle, mindfulness, slowing down, pacing. I talk about micro breaks in my yoga sessions mm. so that my students are learning to stop between any movement that we do. And then I'm saying, take this off the mat. So that we're taking these idea of micro breaks off the mat also, you know. Mm. So um, all I can do is try and share this message with other teachers who then might want to also pass that message on, that rest, relaxation, and space are incredibly important in a society which is burning out mm. Mm. could we could we talk a little bit about rest because i think the notion of rest and that word has maybe lost its meaning <laughs> in terms of how we understand as rest um as as a society particularly a western society because actually i know when i think about my rest it would be as little stimulus as possible. So preferably in, a, in, a, in a, a darkened room or something over my eyes if I can't shut the curtains, um, feeling warm and being on the floor or on the bed for me is rested. But it's, 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 it's a conscious rest for me rather than a, my body's exhausted or sleep which is very different to rest. And I'd, it'd be really interesting to hear your description of, of rest and maybe how people could start to involve some form of rest into their day without it feeling like it has to become a chore, which I, for many people, I think, you know, their resting time is at the end of the day, I'll switch on the telly or you know, read a book or listen to a radio show. And actually that's still stimulating our brain, isn't it? It isn't letting ourselves unwind. So I'd re be in really interested to hear your interpretation of rest and how, how you explain that to the people that you work with. Well, I really agree with you, Daniel. And I think the problem is we can make rest like yoga into another doing. So it's, oh, it's another thing I've got to tick off my list. Oh, I haven't had my, you know, it becomes another task. And it's trying to get us out of the mindset of doing and being goal orientated into being more of a being, however, you know, that is. And I, there's an anecdote I'd like to share, which I think is actually in my book, where um, a few years back I was working with an ME group and I was telling them the true story of a London teaching hospital. And they had told their ME patients that you've got to have three set periods of 40 minutes of rest every day. And that this apparently was getting people better. And I said, you know, isn't this wonderful? This is a free thing that you can do 40 minutes, three times a day. You go, you lie down. And instead of being pleased, some of the group looked very anxious. And then they started asking me questions like, well, what do you mean? Do you mean that um, I can't read a book or, or, or I, can't, I can't listen to a podcast? Or um, you know, they became very anxious about the idea of having no stimulation and doing nothing. And I thought that was very, very interesting. And I had another similar conversation with my stepdaughter about three years ago. I was going on a silent retreat with my then teacher, Adi Shanti. And I was saying to Sam, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I could be a week in silence. And she was like, oh, a week in silence. I couldn't do that. You know, which is a very typical example. Most people would react like she did. 
that they could not be silent for a week. They would find that very alarming. But my idea of rest is just like you say, Daniel, where you lie down, you're not stimulated, preferably in darkness with or something over your eyes. But also so many of us have got such active rajasic brains. I think it's really helpful also to, to have guided rest. So something like a guided relaxation or brilliant yoga nidra. I'm a huge fan of yoga nidra once or twice a day because that really helps to take you down into that more theta state of being and really refreshes you I do something actually I'm doing it tonight with my yoga group it's called cyclic meditation it's something I learned at an ashram when I was in India and it's a form of relaxation where you do a bit of bit of relaxation a bit of movement a bit of relaxation a bit of movement and then a really deep relaxation and this ashram found that when you put the, those combination together it gets us into a much deeper state of relaxation but you know there are different ways of approaching rest but ideally, it's not where the brain is stimulated by something like reading or listening to a podcast or music um, or watching television. That's not, to me, that's not real rest. Having said that, it can be nice just to sit at a coffee shop and drink a coffee and look out the window. I'm, I'm not, you know, dismissing that or going for a walk. But I'm also talking about quality rest really important just stopping because that way our brain can recalibrate we can maybe come out of the head more into the body we can maybe really check in with how we're feeling we can check how am i breathing am i breathing through the nose is my breath got a bit fast am i chest breathing we can just check in and even if the mind is very fast we can say okay that's how it is i'm going to accept it and we can practice accepting our current experience without trying to resist it. Even if there's pain and fatigue, we accept our current experience mm. in the in that rest period. So, I, I find it fascinating when you start to allow people to experience rest. And it's a huge part of what I do as a yoga therapist, you know, similar to you, a lot of my clients, you know, are burnt out or in the process of, of, of becoming burnt out. And once they start to understand how they can rest, there then becomes this whole kind of internal dilemma around, well, what if I fall asleep? while I'm resting <laughs> and I'm just I always say to people if you fall asleep that's exactly what you need to do don't wake yourself up because you've fallen asleep or you know create anxiety around whether you're going to sleep or whether you're going to rest you clearly just need to do that and actually the fact that you are falling asleep maybe indicates that your quality of sleep might need to be looked at or addressed so that would then take us into maybe looking into their sleep patterns more and you know sort of working out how to top and tail their 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 sleep process um and would you find you do you find a similar conversation being had with people you know in yoga nidra you're always meant to not sleep and one of the instructions is do not fall asleep i usually omit that instruction because i think if people sleep just like you they need it and if I fall asleep during a yoga nidra, then I always feel better for it. Mm -hmm. um, but it reminds me of a conversation years ago. I don't, can't remember what it was, maybe 12 years ago. I was doing a five-day workshop with the 
yoga therapist Mukunda Styles, and he used to do these relaxation periods and we would fall asleep. And he commented that when he started teaching uh, yoga, he'd do the relaxation and people would not fall asleep. But his, his observation was that yoga teachers were getting more and more stressed and that they were falling asleep more and more as the years went by during his practices because they needed it. And, and I also heard anecdotally Jessica Char commented that uh, people were breathing faster and faster because in our tradition, we tend to plan a class with a number of breaths. Mm-hmm. And he noticed that that was changing through the years because people, Westerners in particular, were just beginning to hyperventilate more. So yes, we need that rest. And if we need to sleep, fantastic, we need to sleep. Let's sleep while we can. We all need more sleep as well. I know when I practice yoga nidra, and I, I often fall asleep. And I, it's interesting, I always wake up at the end though. So they have a very good way of bringing you back. Yes. In, back back into a state of conscious alertness, I guess. Yes, the best yes. Yeah. But yeah. what I tend to do now is if I've got the time, I'll repeat the nidra. So I'll do do it once, let myself sleep, and then I'll do it again. And yeah, I sometimes I mean, I, do that. I have the luxury of that time. I work for myself so I can carve that into my day. Um, but I, I so agree. If you need the sleep, you must give it to yourself. I was going to I was going to ask you what your thoughts on not. I know I'm like we have a very similar story Fiona I had glandular fever when I was 13 actually and that developed into ME and I suffered from ME symptoms probably right through my 20s um and then I had burnout twice in my 30s and then again less so in my 40s but what I, each time it happened I learned a little bit more about as we speak about the patterns of what took me there so I now know to look out for my signals internal signals that say to me oh you're on the way to starting Mm. to create those habits that made you burned out and poorly in the past and for me I start to feel adrenalized so actually one of the symptoms for me is when I get really productive I'm like oh god here we go (laughs) it's because I'm becoming overproductive because my productive looks like four people working at one time versus one person doing a normal experience of a job, you know, with some balance, some social, some downtime. I'll just become completely adrenalized and off I go. It's like a crazy brain. I can think about a million things at once. So it's, I don't let myself go there, but if I can feel it coming, it, it makes me pause and I'll say, okay, what's going on? Why is that happening? What's really going on? What do you need to do instead? And that bit there is really uncomfortable. Um, so I don't know I don't know if you would like to talk a little bit around that. Yeah, in ME circles, we call it tired but wired. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm very interested that you said you had glandular fever when you were 13, because I also had glandular fever the first time when I... 13 I'm older than you so I think thoughts in medicine were a bit different then because I remember my doctor telling my mother that I had to stay in bed for six Mm. weeks Mm. and convalesce and I was really frustrated and angry about that but it was forced on me and consequently I recovered because there was this convalescent period and perhaps we can talk about that further in a minute but I think also those of us who, like you and me, have had glandular fever, 
I don't know about you, but I had a history also of being given lots of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, naturopaths are suggesting that that can affect the liver and, of course, the gut microbiome. So a lot of people I know with me have got a history of having been given lots of antibiotics. So mm-hmm. our health is always quite fragile anyway. So, you know, you've got that on the physical side, but then I think those patterns are also there. Um, so just like you, I have warning signs or I have friends who see my warning signs because they know me well enough to know when I'm pushing, what, taking on too much, working too hard, getting that adrenalized caffeine, tired wide feeling. One of my first signs will be that I won't sleep so well. Mm. Um, my speech might start to speed up and just you know I get I think I'm doing too much and I find you know as a yoga teacher I have to be careful because it it's very nice that I've become quite popular because of the work I'm doing because of the long Covid connection because before I was working quite quietly in the background on you know with people with ME and that was just a small sector of the population but now of course long Covid has become a massive topic so people are more interested in my work. But because of that, I'm having to not to take on too much. I'm having to be really strict about turning work down and um, just pacing myself. I could be working almost full time, but um, I don't want to because I'm 65 now. I want to enjoy my life. I want to be of service. I want to help people. I just have to, you know, what it's like in yoga, you can, we can be, taking on too much so um I have to like you listen to those warning signs know what my patterns are know that I have a pattern of taking on too much I can have a pattern of saying yes and not no and I have to be boundaried so mm. it certainly taught me that yes absolutely I think it's really interesting what you were saying about the the, the instruction that was given to you when you first was ill was to convalesce for six weeks and that that word almost has become redundant hasn't it in our in our modern society convalescing you know whereas actually you I remember you know my parents talking about oh you know someone that we know has gone to convalesce or you know they've gone away for a while you know I don't know why they went away it could have been all kind of different reasons but actually the fact that convalescing has actually almost been took out of our way of coping with any form of stress, whether it be physical or mental stress that we've experienced. And, and it would be really interesting to hear your take on long COVID and how, you know, what, what are the key things really that you feel people need to be doing to support themselves who may have long COVID. And I think you might say convalescing is probably going to be one of those. <laughs> I, I recently did a workshop um, for yoga teachers on long COVID. And in the workshop, I interviewed two people. So one was wonderful yoga therapist called Nadine Mackay, who's had long COVID. And she's more or less better now, but, you know, she's had it for a year. And she, like me, really believes in this convalescent message. Um, Her story is very interesting because, you know, she admits that she didn't do that and that because nobody talks about it. And that we live in a society where if you're ill, the message is take a LEM sip and get back to work. You know, that is the message. 
Um, and then I interviewed um, Frances Goodall, who's had COVID, but she'd also had ME prior to that. Um, she runs an organisation called the Women's Wellness Circle. And what Frances said back to me, and I've had this from a couple of other people <clears throat> who've had ME, is that they haven't gone on to have long COVID because they know about pacing and they know about resting. So <clears throat> they already had learned that lesson. They didn't have that pattern of pushing through anymore. And I think the reason why we're seeing this incident of long COVID is because people are pushing through. They are not managing their stress levels. They get COVID. They don't know how serious it is. And then they're trying to get back to work too soon. I'm going to cough. So I'm just going to mute myself and cough. Mm -hmm. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I think if, you know, if you have COVID, it's a very serious, nasty virus. We know that. So you should take it seriously and really rest and not rush to get back to work. Now, I know we were talking earlier that this isn't possible if you've got a mortgage to pay and you're trying to keep a family. But, you know, how much do you value your health? They're talking about a long COVID diagnosis being given after three months. Personally, I think it should be given after six months. And I think if you have COVID, you should convalesce for six months. And then if you're not well, give the uh, long COVID diagnosis. And even after six months, you should be pacing and you should be resting. And I think if people were doing that, plus managing their stress levels, I think we would see less incidence of long COVID. I also think, and again, this is anecdotal, this is lots and lots of conversations I've had with people. People who get COVID badly, apart from obviously we know if you're older or you've got an underlying health condition, but people who get COVID more badly or go on to get long COVID tend to have been very stressed before they get ill. And of course, stress creates this inflammatory response. And this is one of the problems we know with COVID and long COVID. So if we could somehow manage our stress levels and be a calmer society and be eating well and avoiding sugar and alcohol, then maybe we wouldn't be getting COVID quite so severely if we were then resting and pacing and managing our stress levels and convalescing, maybe we would not see such figures of long COVID. I mean, I don't know. I'd be interested for your take on this, Dawn, because you've had long COVID. So, you know, what? and obviously when you got COVID, you didn't realise we didn't have any information on it then. We didn't know this, no. but I wonder what your thoughts are. Yeah, when I got it, it was March and it had only just been announced, really, and they weren't testing. So my GP throughout has been pretty useless, to be frank. And, uh, you know, they when I rang and I had a really hacking cough for about four days and I was very, very exhausted for about 10. They just said they referred me to the COVID doctor and they said, yeah, you've 99 percent got COVID, but we don't test. So and the, the word her words to me were, if you can't breathe, call an ambulance. Good luck. And that was that. And I have to say, it's really interesting. But I, the, the word the ambulance driver used yesterday, the other day when I had the torn ligament, was you're very stoic. And I, and I kind of took that on board and I thought, yeah, I am quite stoic. And I don't know if it's a good thing. Because <laughs> yeah. disaster strikes, I always go, I'll be fine. I'll find a way around it. 
I'm never in, I'm never one to sit and feel sorry for myself. I'm always planning. Yeah, go on. I can see you want to interject, Fiona. Well, when you say you're stoic and you manage, you're, it then gets back to this question of self-compassion because actually exactly. if, it, if you were talking to somebody else, a friend or your child, you wouldn't say that, but yeah. you're not being kind to yourself. So it's, you know, you're not maybe, you know, the, yes, being stoic is very much the British thing, isn't it? Stiff up a yeah. lip, get on yeah. with it. But sometimes, you know, like the example I gave of my mother earlier, and my mother's very stoic too. You know, she told me, you just got to go back there and, you know, you don't count. But she's like that herself, that mm. she would also push through. But sometimes we need to be kind to ourselves and we mm. need to take rest. We need to look after ourselves. And this is what maybe we've lost and we need to bring back. And hopefully through our yoga teaching, we can begin to share this message more. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think whilst whilst she said, whilst they, they said that and I acknowledged it, I also remembered and thought to myself, I've developed over the years an ability to notice when I'm not being kind to myself. So she was right. I was being stoic in the moment. Um, but I was aware I was being stoic and then the compassion came shortly after it isn't my first instinct to necessarily think about myself first I think it was bred out of me um, and I, it's something I have to work on but I I have an awareness and I think this is really important for people to hear is like we're not always going to get it right we've got our old patterns that came from us from our ancestors from our family situations from society and you know actually it's all very well to say your health has to come first but actually if you don't pay your mortgage or your rent you're gonna get kicked out of your house there's you know there's still a choice that's got to be made there especially if you've got children and other people to look after um so but it's becoming aware of your choices and how you are responding and then once you're aware then what do you do next so yes I, the ambulance driver was absolutely right. I was very stoic. I went through some very extreme discomfort and put up with it. But then I've looked after myself since then. You know, I've sat down. I've done yoga nidras every day. I'm being letting people look after me. I'm resting and I'm not in a rush. I, I like work, so I want to get back to work, but I'm not in a rush. So it, I think that that's the point is that we've got to start understanding what makes us tick what and what patterns we have and how we can support ourselves within those I call it putting in scaffolding so you know putting good stuff in that's going to support you whilst you're learning some of the things that you do that perhaps aren't very supportive of you so if I've got my practices in like my twice a day meditation my yoga nidra my eating well my my saying no I'm really good at saying no if I don't want to do something or it doesn't feel like it's going to nurture me um, my boundaries then I've got all those things in place so the other stuff that maybe was my unhealthy scaffolding can start to fall away that that's kind of the way I address this and I think sometimes to say to somebody you know go and do a practice it's too much they just can't because you know it feels too much but if you say to them I'm not asking you to take anything away from you I'm not asking you not to go to work I'm not asking you to suddenly put in place these boundaries around these people and your family that are actually really unhealthy for you. What I'm asking you to do is what one thing can you do for yourself each day? Let's start there. And so there's your first bit of scaffolding 
and then we add on to that and then that allows space for people to start really taking care of themselves because let's be frank as you've said already our society does not encourage us to we are we are bred to consume and be consumers and we are bred to be fearful and we're bred to feel less than and not good enough unless we're buying the cream having our hair done buying the clothes got the latest iphone got a nice house having three holidays a year or whatever else it's not enough just to be so that's inherent in our experience so it's a, such a big topic isn't it to unpick all of that start I, with one thing i think you put that so well Jordan. um that you know it's a work in progress and certainly a work in progress for me and all we can do is just watch the patterns and be aware when they are rising. Cause you know, I've talked about my pattern of putting other people first and uh, not looking after myself. I think that's for me gonna be a lifetime's work. It's just, I am mm -hmm. aware of it, which makes it a bit easier. But also I'm also aware of what you say that inherent in us is that this society, which says you're not good enough, mm -hmm. unless you're consuming, unless you have the house, the car, the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my reasons for coming to Spain where it's a very quiet village where it's just a little bit easier when I'm out of that and I don't spend money and I'm not looking at stuff I'm aware when I go back to the UK for two months it's quite easy to get sucked into that it's just a little bit more tricky and it is you know if those are our tendencies they can become full-blown patterns but like mm. you say if we can just do just one thing um even just being aware you know that's that's a start to us mm. being kind to ourselves mm. and it is you know it's about having this awareness really and it's about being aware of what our patterns are and, and watching for them not in a critical way either not in a judgmental way mm. but it, it's like a compassionate way that we're mm. watching who we are you know is beyond what our patterns are but we can't really discover who we are unless we can see beyond the patterns Mm. Daniel I think that's why it's so important as well Fiona to be running groups like you are where there are people with those similar conditions or that have been affected in certain ways through illness that they can come and speak to each other because I think so often those patterns are so deeply ingrained within our family or our relationships or those that we spend time with that to draw ourselves out of that and to use those opportunities almost like a, a reflection board and hear other people's experiences and stories, that can be so powerful. I, I think it can. Um, I don't know when you were reading the book, Dawn, if you got to the bit where I was saying that in the case of ME, it can be very helpful for people to meet in support groups. Mm. Also, it can mean that people then become very identified with their mm. illness. Yeah. And, that, and then it can be that they can't move on because mm. it becomes about me being a sick person. So yeah. in, um, certainly in my classes, I'm trying to encourage this idea of health and healing rather than, or just accepting ourselves as we are in this moment and not mm. resisting our current experience because we don't know what's, what there is tomorrow and we you know we might not even necessarily talk about recovery because that's an idea in the future and that somehow then negates our current experience mm. 
so but it certainly does mean that people that come to my classes do feel that they are with a group of like-minded people we have a Facebook group where people can make and talk and share stuff and actually I should, if I could just mention here I've, we've also set up a Facebook group for uh, which is called yoga teachers with fatigue support because there's quite a lot in fact we've got nearly 70 in the group now of yoga teachers who have fatigue for whatever reason so mm. you know can post and share stuff on that that's um, really useful we'll share that in the in the show notes as well thank you thank you yeah i think it's really interesting what you're saying i don't i don't know what you guys think about this but yoga teaching yoga as a living is actually quite tough because for lots of different reasons and i think you can because you start off with this i remember my teacher saying this before i started prep teaching he said to me, you sure you want to do this? This is something you like. Like, it's going to change a lot. And I was like, no, I love it. I can't think of anything else I'd want to do every day of my life. And he was kind of right, because that is what I've ended up doing every day of my life, pretty much. But it's hard work, because you always, it, it, it can feel like, not so much now, but you're like chasing a buck. You know, your classes are hard work to fill you got if you're working for other people you got your numbers up you know the business of yoga is not nice it, it's not fun it's it's exhausting it can make you very adrenalized because you don't know you're never safe you're only safe as your last good class your clients might drop away at any time and actually if you're doing your job really well you kind of don't want them to be too attached to you anyway you want them to have the freedom to move around try new things and maybe come back and you're, you know, so you're you're living in a state of potentially, unless you've got some resources or a partner who can support you in some way, you know, it it's not um it's not an easy thing to do financially, which makes you can make you feel quite anxious. I and I watch people come into this industry, and I always I always say to them, have a backup plan, have something else you're doing, don't just do this, you know, you'll lose your joy for it in the end. And I don't know. I mean, Garish said to me very early on, he said, I don't charge for this. Did you all give me a donation, which I give to charity? He said, I don't agree with making a living out of a yoga practice. And I kind of, I've always said this to you, Daniel, I kind of get it. And yet at the same time, I also think it's a great thing that we're able to do. And lots of wonderful people are doing, is able to offer great spaces that are really safe, compassionate and inclusive, which feels wonderful, but still, at the same time, it's it's very hard work, and it's it does attack your stress levels. Yeah, so um, I mentioned yoga teachers former forum Julia Davis, who you know, has an interesting story about how Julia and I met, because about three years ago she posted a thread on Facebook um, about yoga teachers and burnout. And she was quite surprised and shocked at how many yoga teachers were burnt out. And she wrote an article for the British Wheel of Yoga about it, which I then picked up because I was researching my book. And some of the conclusions she came to were that yoga teachers were burnt out because they were chasing work. They were trying mm. to make a living. They were trying to sort out their marketing. They were trying to do their tax. And it was all too much. Mm. Um, and you know her conclusion was kind of that you need to really think very carefully before you do this because you've got to think about what is your priority is your priority 
to share and teach yoga or is it to make an, an income and to make a living? And um, I kind of, you know, again, I agree with everything you say. I'm very lucky now that I have an income from a house I rent out in England mm. and soon I will have a pension. So that supports me. So I don't need to make money out of yoga um and which is why I can work on donation and people just pay me if they want to and if they don't want to that's fine too you know again it's the kind of capitalist model isn't it mm. if we are teaching from the heart um and we're not worried about money I think it's a better incentive for our teaching um because the problem if we're trying to make a living is that we might then become fearful, like you were talking about not feeling safe, we might become competitive with other teachers and that's kind of the wrong motivation. So I think if we are teaching, it's always better if we can have a backup plan or if we have a second income from another job. That's just the conclusion I've come to. I was in a situation at the beginning of lockdown where my, own, my husband had died and my only income was from teaching, but I was aware that I had to trust because that wasn't how I wanted it to be. And my family were arguing with me saying, no, no, you should be charging more. You shouldn't be doing it on donation. And I was in my heart saying, no, I know that I work with people who are on disability. I don't want to be charging them. I'm just going to trust, I'm going to trust. And eventually things have worked out for me. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's about what our motivation is. I, I was just going to add, I think, as uh, as well, you know, I think it very much, we need to look at the way that actually people are training in yoga because, kind of taking us right back to where we started, if you're not doing that deep internal work on yourself, then you're not being true to yourself that that internal work can only happen if we give ourselves time and space to be able to, to to do it and with the right teachers or the right support yeah. and guidance around us and we can't be doing that when we're teaching 20 classes a week running across town here there and everywhere logging onto zoom from five o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night that just doesn't happen because we haven't got the the capacity to be able to do that inner reflection work and, and and for me, you know, I I I'm I'm very much a a, a teacher that I I I wasn't taught yoga very well to begin. I was taught in a very dogmatic and very narrow-minded way, and I've had to unpick all of that over the last twenty years that I've been practicing, really to make me realize that actually the reflection always comes back on the work that we've done within ourselves. And so all of that busyness is almost kind of keeping at bay, actually the stuff that we need to be doing, which is that internal work. And I just, I, now I really question the teachers that I want to spend time and effort with because actually I really want to know that they're doing that work and I want to see evidence of that in some way that they are doing that because actually then to me, I feel like, oh, there's a sense of trust here. There's a compassion that they're teaching from 
rather than it being feeling like they're on a hamster wheel. Yeah, I completely agree. And I got onto that hamster wheel several years ago when I uh, split up with my first husband. I went to teach in London and I was chasing around London, you know, public transport, running from class to class, uh, trying to make ends meet because I was going, I didn't have any money. Um, And I was consequently not doing my own inner work. And then interestingly, I got the tick bite um, and then I had to start or I was then beginning to reflect on what was happening. Um, And then, of course, my second husband got ill with cancer and then I stopped teaching completely for five years and did a lot of inner work um, during that time. So it was almost like life had created that for me. But I certainly feel having gone through the journey of suffering, actually, and really being made to forced to look at my dark stuff my depression my anxiety my fear my fatigue um it makes me a better teacher because I understand what Mm. my students are facing too Mm. so yes I think that self-reflection and having the time for that self-reflection is completely vital if we have got anything to share and ultimately we are distilling and watering down the essence of what yoga is, you know, by watering it down to a, a, a keep fit class with, you know, <laughs> made up of yoga postures, isn't yoga. <laughs> There's nothing no, spiritual about it. It's and actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know, and and I think this is this is, I suppose, the the crossroads that we're hitting as an industry a yoga industry is actually you've got millions and millions of yoga teachers that actually are teaching nothing more than asana and maybe a bit of focused breathing towards the end and lie down for five minutes whereas you've got another strain who are really trying to almost go back to the essence in a culturally appropriate way to be able yeah. to bring yoga to to really heal and support people through these sorrows and these really difficult times that we're going through yeah it's it's interesting because before we were you were recording Daniel and I were both saying that we are studying the yoga sutras again and my teacher who's from India talks about cultural appropriation and he says that any yoga teacher should be studying the yoga sutras in depth and understanding them before they teach that it should be a prerequisite because that really is what it's about you know, and, and yet there is this misnomer that it's about what you look like on Instagram. It's about having a great body in like in a difficult, knotty position, but that's not what it is about. As I was listening to you guys chat and I was thinking, um, you know, just generally the divisiveness of the world right now, you know, COVID, uh politics the everything everything is just very divisive we're very polarized that in itself can feel quite anxious making can't it because you just you don't know what you're safe to say and what you're not safe to say you know we as human beings like we seek connection we seek like-minded people to be with and I think that's all changed in the past two years. You people certainly that I felt I knew and felt close to, and we were on the same page. And I don't feel that way anymore. We have very different views about, you know, 
the world and COVID and the vaccine and all this stuff. And, you know, I'm very much of the view, I think, as I know Daniel is, and I think you are, Fiona, people have a right to choose. They can do what they, you know, if they want to be vaccinated, that's great. If they don't want to be vaccinated, that's great. Also, I'm vaccinated. I was absolutely happy to be so. You know, I'm still very careful. Um, I don't want to infect anybody. I've seen people die. I've seen people be on ventilators. I know a lot of people long COVID, so I'm very respectful. But I would say no more respectful than I was before. If I had the flu, I tend to keep away from people. Um, and I just think, you know, our nervous systems must be picking up on all the stuff that we're sort of feeling and living through as we try to negotiate our way out of hopefully a dreadful pandemic and into an, a new, more kinder and inclusive world. And, you know, I don't know that that's what we're seeing right now. You know, I think we're seeing a lot of fear. And I, I hope it's our job as teachers to kind of find our inner peace ourselves and then hold that space for others. I don't know if there's anything you'd like to share around that, Fiona. Um, well, I completely agree with you that it's become a world where you can't trust what you, you know, you don't know what to say. If you say the wrong thing, you don't feel safe about what, what you say. People have got strong opinions around things. Um, I'm not vaccinated because I've got Lyme from the tick bite or chronic fatigue. And a lot of people with ME have been made quite sick from the virus, from the vaccination, although not all of them. But I've just chosen for the moment to remain unvaccinated. But I completely respect people who are unvaccinated. I respect people, I respect both sides. My mother's vaccinated and I'm delighted about that. You know, I think it should be free choice. Um, mm. And I think we shouldn't other people, you know, whatever your status is. Um, you know, I, I want to honour everybody and welcome everybody. I mean, I think at one stage there was people were saying if you were unvaccinated, you were unsafe because you could spread the virus more. But we now know the science is that that's not the case. Um, if I'm running a yoga class, I think people's vaccination status is up to them. And, you know, it's, it's free choice. But that you know, that's how I see it, because there are people like me who've got medical conditions or reasons mm -hmm. why they're not vaccinated. Um, and, you know, let's not use the pandemic as an excuse for making yet another mm -hmm. othering condition where we are uh, blaming people because we should be coming together. There's a wonderful quote from... Um, there's a Buddhist monk who I love and I follow. His name is Lama Rod Owens. And he says, when we can transcend the pair of opposites and come to the middle, that's where we find truth. And I think, you know, that applies to this situation too, that we mm -hmm. should be open to all opinions and embrace everybody's ideas. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? It really does. It's really beautifully. Thank you. I was just, you know, reflecting as you listen. What a great quote, isn't it? You know, in great, in great suffering, I've experienced the greatest growth. And yes. The yeah. I really have. You know, there's been some very difficult times in life. And when I've surrendered and looked at my shadow and let go and opened my heart, the growth has been phenomenal. And I'm really trying to apply that model to where the world is right now because it's 
you know, with the whole planet is in suffering. The planet's in suffering, people are in suffering. And so I'm working on, you know, what's my shadow around that and how can I hold space for myself first and others next, you know, acknowledging that that's a truth and I'm not going to bypass it because it is true. And, and yet hold, you know, hold my heart open for myself and others. So I think, you know, as practitioners of this wonderful tradition, that's, that should be our role. I feel Daniel, do you have a thought on that? My, my thought was very much around, as Fiona just said, you know, I've, I've chosen to start studying the yoga sutras again. And ultimately the sutras are about tuning into our fear of death mm-hmm. and tuning into our lived experience of potentially being lonely mm-hmm. or being separate. And it feels like society at the moment is separating or we're separating ourselves because we're unable to see the middle ground. We're only able to see in these kind of, you know, extremities. And like you said, Dawn, I think we can't change the world, but what we can do is change our internal world and hopefully allow by us being more compassionate and more kind to ourselves, then we allow that to then be an experience that others that we choose to share our time with are also able to connect with or pick up on in some way. It's all about, just like you both said, opening the heart as much as we can. You know, that's what the practice is about, being heart-centred. And we can't just open the heart to one set of people and not to the others. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it means opening the heart to everything. And yeah. like you've also reflected, it means doing our reflection so we can develop our own inner peace so that we can then apply that to whatever the situation is. Clearly we're kind of being tested now, you know, we've got testing times around pandemic, lockdown, vaccination, you know, whatever you think. I see it as our duty as yoga teachers to do our best to open our hearts to all opinions and all ways of being. And if we're not, if we're, finger pointing or blaming one set of people then we're not doing the work on the inner peace Mm -hmm. for ourselves Mm -hmm. and 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 also just reflecting on what dawn was saying because like myself dawn you've experienced chronic fatigue syndrome or me that is also a time of suffering and i think you know what i try to share with my community is that any illness can be devastating and very very hard but it can also be an opportunity the spiritual growth and we have a choice to close down the heart to get angry to blame blame ourselves to blame others or we can soften and look you know where is the lesson in this where is the spiritual growth um um, you know what is life about daniel you mentioned the yet that the fear is vinivasha and one of the klesha and yes Jessica kachara always used to say that this is actually the fear of death Ultimately, fear is associated with the fear of death. And maybe the pandemic is just reminding us all that we are mortal and we can't drink or Netflix our way out of mortality. Everything's changing all the time. Nothing stays the same. There is no such thing as real security. 
and we have to learn to go with that change. And because we're all going to die eventually, maybe now is the time to look for our spiritual meaning in life and see that life is more than just about being the material. And we try and cling onto the material because it makes us feel more secure. You know, if I can have that bigger house or that car or wardrobe or whatever it is we want, we think it will make us feel better, but really it won't. It's only in understanding who we really are that we get that inner security, that inner sense of self. Absolutely. Yeah. Fiona, where um, can people connect with you um, who've listened to this podcast? I know you said you're doing a course. um, Is it towards the end of this year or start of next year? Um, I'm running a course through Yoga Teachers Forum. That, I'm not sure when this will be broadcast, so that's coming out in November. Um, and it's just a short course with my friend and teacher, Sarah Ryan, on teaching yoga for uh, stress, fatigue, burnout, long COVID. Um, and then I'm, ho- I'm kind of currently developing a uh, yoga therapy module with Nadine Nakai for the Minded Institute so we're not sure when that will be running but that will probably be sometime next year but if people go to my website which is basically my name so www.fianaagambar.co.uk they'll find what courses I'm running they'll find out more about my classes and also about the book Yoga Therapy for Stress, Burnout and Chronic Fatigue Syndrome um, and they can contact me through there Thank you so much for Thank you, your though. time today and just this amazing work that you're mm-hmm. sharing and putting out there because it's it's so needed when people are in those points of desperation and they don't know where to turn. So, you know, thank you so much for doing that work. Um, well, thank you for the work you do and your amazing podcast mm-hmm. and for your great insights today. I mean, it was a really lovely conversation because you're both so deep and insightful. So. Thank you for stimulating me. It was brilliant. Oh, thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure to be here with both of you today, Dawn and Fiona. Um, if you enjoyed what we was talking about today, please do let us know. You can go onto the Apple um, podcast app and leave us a review. Um, if you didn't like what we were talking about, please let us know. You can put that on the review or you can drop us an email. Um via the Anahata Studio. If there's anyone you want us to talk to or a subject that you'd like us to discuss, then please do give us feedback and let us know. But until next time, thank you so much, Fiona, for your time. Thank you, Dawn, for being here. And thank you for listening. Thank you both for having me. Thank you.